0: Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Praise the Lord. If you would turn your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 24. And we'll start with verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world? If you're reading from another rendering, or if you have a note in your King James Bible, it could also be read this way. Tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the age. I'm going to let you be seated. (laughs) But feel free to stand if you feel like standing at any point in time. You're more than welcome to teach with me. So we've been in the, the book. We've been studying the fulfilled prophecy and tonight's lesson is the signs of the end of the age. and <clears throat> So just by way of explanation, uh, there's a couple different ideas as far as the different ages. Uh, and so when we speak of the age, it's, it's a sign of the end of the age. Dispensations, we call them dispensations. Uh, they are a series of chronologically uh, successive time spans within biblical history. And so, if you've been through a Bible study, a um, 12-week Bible study, or something of that nature, uh, in one of the early lessons, we'll, we'll typically go through the dis- different dispensations. And so, starting with the time of uh, the garden, there was the age of the innocence, or the dispensation of innocence. And then, it flowed into, after the fall, uh, there was the time or the dispensation of conscience, when man was living by his conscience. And... and uh, I, I do believe that uh, in, in some of the readings that i've 've read that god's God's presence and god's spirit really weighed heavy upon man during that time and, and that that would have uh been up until the time of noah um, and and so then after the dispensation of the conscience. You came into the dispensation or the time frame of human government and that would have been the time frame of Nimrod. And, and uh, just for a little bit of information on that, if you research in your Bible, the first time you will ever hear of a reference to polytheism or the worship of multiple gods, it, it happened somewhere, it came about somewhere in between the flood and, and Noah and, and, and Abraham. And so you have basically ten generations of men Uh, during that time frame, and right in the middle-ish is Nimrod in the the Tower of Babel. And if you do some extra-biblical studies, hmm, religious history, the ancient religions, kind of all flow back to that time frame right there. And so it was right in that span of time that polytheism came about. The first mention was actually uh, in reference to Abraham and his father. His father served... Uh, on the other side, uh, and he served uh, multiple gods that references in the Bible. And so that would have been during the time of the human government. And then we get into the fourth one, or the, the uh, dispensation of promise, and that would have been during the, the time of the, the, the man of promise. Or, or, and then the family of promise, and that would have been Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, which became a nation of promise, Israel, right? And then that would lead us to the law, the dispensation or the time of the law. And we all know that was Moses. God gave Moses the law, right? And then we get to the New Testament or the New Covenant, and we live in the dispensation of grace or the church age. And that's what we're currently living in right now. And if you look at, uh, matter of fact, I should have brought it today. We, when we went down to the Creation Museum, I, I, I spent the money and I bought the, the book. The book. And it, it, it folds out. It's the timeline from the beginning of the Bible all the way up until current day. And it, it literally would cover, oh, it's long. It would go pretty much from the end of that pew probably almost to the end of this pew. It just folds out like an accordion, and it's got all this information, and I just felt led to, to buy it perhaps so that Sunday school could borrow it or something. It's pretty neat. Actually, what's interesting is we do have a room in the back that someone started to paint it on the wall, right? And that's what that is. But... Um, if you look at that timeline, I mean, we're 2,000 years plus into the age of grace. And if you just look at those spans of time, our, our clock is ticking, right? And so we're coming to the end of this age. There's no doubt about it. So Matthew chapter 24, where we're at here, Jesus is speaking of this. Verse 4, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. And I gotta just stop there for one second. We would do well to take heed. And how do we take heed? Jesus is warning us that there will be deception. And so we need to be prepared not to be deceived. Verse five: for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Many is not a few. It almost sounds like perhaps more. There will be a great deception. We live in a time, and we know this, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but we know we live in a time of great religious deception, right? And and why is it that there's so many different veins of Christianity and so many different beliefs and doctrines or teachings? There's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, right? Well, it's because... We're living in in what is referred to as the last days or the end of the age. And we're living in the time that Jesus was warning about right here. And so we need to combat this. And the best way we can do it, the best way we can prepare ourselves to guard ourselves, to guard our salvation, is through studying and knowing the Word of God. The best way to identify a counterfeit is to know the real thing. And it's all right here. It's a thick book. But they, some of them are thinner. <laughs> this one's large print. So it looks a little bit bigger than what it seems. But if you don't know this, I, I imagine we've all been through a 12-week Bible study, but if you haven't been, or if you haven't been in a while, or perhaps if you have been and you haven't been teaching one, you need to be in one in one shape or form. It will sh- oh, sharpen... Mm. Matter of fact... I've got two of them up here today. (laughs) I think of the warriors that would have two swords. That's me. (laughs) Tonight. Doesn't mean I'm going to go twice as long. Don't worry about it. (laughs) I should check the clock, though. (laughs) But we need to be in the Word. And that Bible study, you go through that, at the end of 12 weeks, you're going you're gonna to realize, okay, it breaks it down pretty well. It's not that difficult. You go through a couple times, you start teaching a few of them, and it doesn't seem smaller. It always actually seems deeper, but it's not that hard to navigate through. Right. It really is not. And it'll bless and increase and grow you, absolutely. So that's the best way we can know the truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Right? It's. It didn't even set you free. It makes you free. He that the son is set free is free indeed. There's not a single person in here that is not made free. You are free indeed. You've been baptized in Jesus' name. You've been filled with the with power from on high, the Holy Ghost. You are free. I am free. Thank God, I'm free. I'm going to veer a little bit from the prophecy thing. It's going to seem like I so appreciate the songs that we sang tonight because they were songs of faith. This is a place of faith. Right here, right now, this is a place of faith. There is faith in this house. There is faith that will move uh, mountains in this house. Maybe even houses too. (laughs) Amen. Amen verse 6. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. Say that with me. Be not troubled. Be not troubled. See that you be not troubled. You, You know why Jesus said this? Why he spoke it? Why it's recorded? Because he knew that there would be those of us who would feel troubled. And you don't have to raise your hand. I, I will. I'll be the guinea pig tonight. Have you ever felt troubled? And Brother Rob raises both hands, <laughs> but he's got a microphone. So, Jesus knew that we would feel troubled. He knew we would be troubled, and so he's telling us, you don't have to be troubled. And He see that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Now, we're talking about the end of the age, right? Troubling times will come, but it's not the end yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. If you have another rendering, or if you have a note in your Bible, it might say, these are the beginning of birth pains. It's the earth travailing. It's the earth shaking and quaking under the power of God in anticipation for what God's about to do. Amen. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake, and then shall many of Uh, be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. I have no doubt that you've heard stories before, and I'm going to tell you another one now. (laughs) Because I remember growing up, growing up in the church, Different feelings and different thoughts at different times, and I never liked eschatology, the study of end times. I don't like that. I don't even today. I don't even like the the term end of time or end times. And and the reason why I went through the dispensations is because dispensations have changed, and it's not the end of time. When this dispensation ends, when Jesus comes again, when he raptures his beloved bride, it's just a changing or a turning of a dispensation. The millennial uh, dispensation will then start. And that is still a time frame. The eternal isn't bound by time, but we still will have a time frame for a thousand years. We will reign and be with Christ. We will rule and reign with Christ, right? Isn't that not what the word tells us? And so, but as a young man, as, as a child, I really didn't like hearing about eschatology. I really didn't like hearing about the end. I, I had too many things that I wanted to experience. I had too many things that I hadn't been blessed with yet. I, I wanted the opportunity to have a career, I wanted the opportunity to, to get married and, and, and to raise a family, I wanted to buy a house. And so there was always a fear that came for me, especially as a teenager. Fear of whether I would make it or not. I might have been okay on Sunday, but by Friday night, who knows? But if we're we're all honest, we all have fears. We do. Perhaps, as I'm getting older, and perhaps some of you are there, I don't fear the end of the age anymore. i rather embrace it as my knees are getting a little bit tired and my ankles are getting a little bit sore and as, okay, I've had some of these things. I've had the house and I know the weight, it wasn't all that great. I love my family. I love my wife. But I love Jesus so much more. And you know what? Just let me hit on that. Because I love Jesus more, and because Sister Miranda loves Jesus more, ha! Ah, it blesses us. So I can say that, and you should be able to say that too, that you love Jesus more. Because a three-fold cord that can easily, cannot easily be broken, that's, that's Jesus right intertwined in all of it. Your eyes are on God, my eyes are on God, and guess what? We're blessed because of God. Amen. I just felt like saying that. So I did. Because I have the microphone. <laughs> Fear. Fear. Turn with me, if you would, to Second Timothy chapter 3. Paul describes it this way. This know also, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. He gives us detail. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parent, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. I'm sure you've heard it many times before that pretty well sums up the time we live in. Verse 5, having somehow yet having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. That word incontinent. I'm going to switch Bibles here for just a second. I'm going to read it from the ESV, starting with verse 3. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Anyone ever been through difficult times? Anyone feel like we're living in difficult times? I feel like everything's difficult. Even what's supposed to make things easier, Sister Angela, I feel like it makes it more difficult. <laughs> I used to love the technology. It's overwhelming now. And as soon as I can't keep up, I just can't keep up with it. It's become difficult. My children, they're acclimated. I don't get that. It's easy for them. Difficult times. Two, for, verse 2, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, Disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable. Oh boy, that's not only society, but if we're not careful, that becomes us. Unappeasable. Never satisfied. Always needing something more. Slanderous. And I went to this version particularly because without self-control. Everyone say self-control. Without self-control. Brutal. Not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having the appearance of godliness but denying the power thereof. I can't help but when I read that denying the power thereof part Realizing what the power is, Paul said it in Romans chapter one, that the power of salvation—it's it, it, the Holy Ghost. The the power is the it is the death burial and the resurrection, and that's where the true power is. And it makes me think of once again the false doctrines and the false teachings that deny that power. What tear Ye in Jerusalem, till you're renewed with power from on high. And you see how the word really does kind of intertwine. It's hard to read one passage without thinking of another passage. But out of control, out of self-control. Hmm. We live in difficult times, church. We live in times where it's easy to feel fear. Uncertainty. And I'll say it. We live in a time in the state of Wisconsin, and very much so even here. Times of transition are going on all over the state. It's really interesting how so many churches are just at that place and at that time. And if we're honest about it, on certain times, breed fear. Right? It's true. And I'll say it because I know when, if we were honest, we would all say it. Our pastor of 40 years. It's easy for that to be 40, to, to instigate fear, right? If we're honest? Hmm. Fear. I never got to the story. So there I was. <laughs> I'm okay if I'm all over. I'll I'll bring it back around. So vividly, and probably you've had these too, but I remember I was probably about 13 years old, and I was out hanging out with my worldly friends, and I'd come home, and, and my mom's car was in the driveway, and I can't find my mom in the house anywhere. There's never been a feeling more real than that feeling. When you're yelling for your mom and she's nowhere to be found, you live, we lived out in the middle of the country. It wasn't like she was a runner or a walker. It becomes so easy to repent in that moment in that time. Oh God, did I miss it? I didn't hear any trumpet. She was at a neighbor's house. Or perhaps another time, I remember about the same age, I was hanging out with Fran Schindler, he was still a young man at the time, and Mike Lauerstorff was there, Tim Lauerstorff, my my brother Mike, and the Schindlers lived out in Watertown at the time, and they had a marsh behind their yard, and I don't know why we were doing it, we were just teenagers, whatever. We were walking across that marsh, it might have been to go to the gas station on the other side or something, we got all the way across that marsh. (laughs) And we got close to the edge and and, and, and Fran, it looked a little sketchy so Fran went first and, and he fell in. I mean, he fell in and, and, and he veered off to the right a little bit and it was not safe there. He was able to get out. He was a pretty strapping young man so Tim had a bright idea. I'm going to go off to the left. It looks better over here. And he started going, we're close to the shore but not that close. And he fell in and it was probably only waist deep but they were both much bigger than I was at the time. They are a little bit older. Thank God. And, and so... Yeah, that way it wasn't safe. And so Mike, my brother, and Mike Lourastore from myself, we found ourselves once again in a place of repentance because we were going to die. <laughs> it had nothing to do with the rapture, but we were fearful. Hmm. Fear. Luke chapter 21. Verse 25 and 26. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. If we were really honest with ourselves, I would ask you the question, what do you fear? What do you fear? And I'll be honest with you for a moment. I'll always be honest, but you know what I fear? Time and chance. I fear time and chance. Ecclesiastes 9 and 11 speaks of it. And if you were to go read it, it talks about the strength of one's hand, doing things right, setting things Right, doing all the right things, and then yet at the end of it all, there's still this thing called time and chance. When I was a younger man, I was very much so distracted. Now I'm a middle-aged man, and I'm trying with all my strength. The verse that proceeds, Ecclesiastes 9 and 11, I'm trying with all the strength of my hand. To give all I have to God. And I have hopes and I have dreams. Sometimes I fear that perhaps time and chance will pass me by. And I'm being totally honest here. Because we're talking about fear. So I'm going to give you an example. And you would never think that we would go from, speaking of eschatology, to the book of Jonah. But we're going to the book of jonah if you turn there with me now this is an interesting case study because it has a crazy a crazy ending to it and when i think of jonah it, it's one of those that is it, it's really not a happy ending you don't really it's just a small snapshot of jonah's life what we do see But just like every word on every page of the Bible, it's dripping with insight. So Jonah chapter 1, starting with verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittah, Amittah, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish and he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the, that's so much fun to say, from the presence of the Lord. We know the story and it's just amazing that God tells the prophet go We'll say north just because I'm pointing north. And Jonah instead goes due south. Completely the wrong direction. Intentionally. Verse 4 tells us that the Lord Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. I'm going to stop reading there for a moment, but... As the story goes on, Jonah goes down into the belly of the ship. Despite the storm, he's fast asleep. Hmm. Perhaps trying to hide from God, I don't know, but he's fast asleep. The ship is under such stress that it is about to be broken. The seasoned sailors that are sailing the ship are fearful for their lives. The captain goes down. Jonah, what are you doing down here? We're in a desire, a, a, a desperate situation, a dire situation. Get up and start praying to your God, whoever that may be. We need help from somewhere. We're not able to get this ship to, to the shore. The harder we try, the further it's pulling us out. The ship's gonna, we're, we're gonna drown. Turns out they end up casting lots to see who and why this has come upon them. They ask Jonah, who are you? Where are you from? What people are you of? And Jonah tells them, I'm a man of God who fears God. He fears the Lord. Now here's the crazy thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the right place to be. But the fear of the Lord is that way. And Jonah's, the fear of the Lord is Nineveh, and Jonah is heading to Tarshish. Well, what should we do? If it's your fault, Jonah, that we're going through this storm and we're about to lose our lives, what should we do? And here's where it starts, to, it starts to boggle my mind. Kill me. Just kill me now. Throw me into the sea. The first sign of our suicidal missionary slash prophet. The first time. And the men wouldn't do it. So they try that much harder to roll that ship towards the shore, but they can't do it. They're losing the battle. And so they give in, and they pray to God, and they say, God, don't put this man's blood on our hands. This is of you. This is of you. And they cast him over. And what does Scripture say? That God prepared a great fish. Swallows them up. So if it wasn't interesting enough already I don't know, I might have mentioned this I think I have mentioned from this pulpit but we have to stop here for a moment and just think about this. Because this isn't like Pinocchio floating around on ship you know, a half wrecked ship in the belly of a big whale and somehow there's a lantern and was he playing cards? I don't remember. That's not what this was like. And this did really happen. Yes, it did. Because God prepared the fish. I don't care if it was physically possible or not. When God prepares something, the realm of possibility is absolute. I'll say it again. When God prepares something, the realm of possibility is absolute. Huh. Now, we're going to read for a second. Chapter 1 and verse 13, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Before we read any further, I'm going to remind you that in the original text, there were no chapters and there were no verses, right? So just remove that for a second, and that's how we're going to read this. The Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days. Three days and three nights he's been in there. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. Now you don't have to agree with me, and I'm not speaking this as doctrine, but the way I read this, three days and three nights, this stubborn, suicidal prophet tried to outlast God in the belly of a whale filled with stomach acids? I I don't know. I don't know how long it would take before your skin is starting to feel the effect of what's going on in that belly, in in, in that stomach. Can you imagine being... It wasn't a great span or in a great place. You talk about claustrophobic. And the crazy thing is, somehow, even being in that unimaginable tight space, Jonah was still fearful of something greater than his situation he was in. Just think of that for a second. If it's true, and if I'm right, if he, for three days, resisted God, It's a miracle that he's even alive. How would you even breathe? But listen to the description. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord and he heard me out of the belly of of hell, cried I, and thou heardest my voice, for thou hast cast me into the deep and in the midst of the seas and the floods and compassed me about all my billows and Thy waves passed, all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters can pass me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me around about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I've got a vivid imagination. I believe what's happening is he's struggling to breathe. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains, and the earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. I think he resisted to the very last possible moment before he finally gave in for a moment. That's just me. It's just the way I read it. When my soul fainted within, in me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into the holy temple. They that observe, observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving, and I will pay that, that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Then the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Now, we already know that the Lord prepared the fish. But the preparation goes so much further beyond what we've read. Jonah is vomited out onto the shore. It says, onto the land. Okay? So, he's been in the belly, stomach acids, for three days and three nights on top of that, he's full of fish vomit. And he walks towards Nineveh. Can you imagine what he must have smelled like? And what he must have looked like? Uh-huh. And he gets there and he proclaims, 40 days and God is going to destroy this city. 40 days, and God is going to destroy this city. We know the story, and if you don't, what happens is immediately, can you imagine this nasty-smelling, putrid-looking prophet, man of God, who's suicidal, full of some sort of fear that we haven't identified yet. The message he speaks is the message of God, 40 days, and God's going to destroy this city. Boom. The immediate response of revival. 120,000 people repent. All the way from the least to the greatest, right up to the king. They proclaim a fa- he proclaims a fast. Prayer time. It may just be that God may forgive us. Can you imagine? That's what God did through someone who was that unwilling to be used. So, what did he fear? He feared something. Anyone know what the Ninevites were known for? They were furniture makers. Did you know that? What's the fear about that? Well, they were known for a particular type of furniture. It was made with the bones. The structure of their furniture was made with the bones of their victims. They were also cannibals. The victims they ate. Can you blame Jonah for not wanting to go to Nineveh? If God called you to go with a message of destruction... You're not going, Brother Mattucci, with a message of salvation and grace and love. I was like, oh. We're talking about that at work. (laughs) The rod, I was going to take a a stick and make it the love stick. I'm going to beat you with the love stick. (laughs) Those are love bruises. (laughs) God doesn't send you with a message of love. A message of Destruction. And you're going to someone who not only makes furniture out of, he's not only going to make furniture out of you after he eats you, but they're already your mortal enemy. God's already using the invites because Israel is out of God's will and has been for a long time. So he had some things to fear. But I think the fear was a little bit greater than that even. Interestingly enough, God had prepared it all. So this suicidal, nasty, fish-gut, fish-vomit-smelling prophet is spit out on the shores of Nineveh by a fish that God had prepared. You want to talk about the providential hand of God. If you didn't know this, The Ninevites, they were polytheistic, but the major God they served was a God that was half man and half fish. Now, not all of the description or the narrative is in the Bible, and I can't verify that it did happen, but God tends to like to show off a little bit, and I have... I have no doubt, I can only imagine that some Ninevites probably saw this event happen. Can't verify it, I'm just speculating. But after all, their god of choice is a fish man. And whether or not they saw it happen, what they see come about is a man, just preach with me, they saw it happen. The evidence is there. He smells like a fish. What would have been unacceptable anywhere else, God is lined up as completely acceptable here. And God's plan and God's purpose is fulfilled. Because God is that great. And in the process... God is granting Israel an additional 70 plus years of grace to come back and repent before Nineveh comes marching in and it's there. The providential hand of God. I think though that it really comes to chapter 4 and verse 2. After Nineveh after Jonah preaches this plan of destruction and Nineveh responds by repenting and turning to the Lord and we'll start with verse 1 but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was very angry and he prayed unto the Lord and said I pray thee O Lord was not this my saying when I was yet in my country you ready for this? Therefore, and I'll remind you, this is Old Testament. This is Old Covenant. Jonah is part of the chosen family, the chosen nation. And here's Jonah's understanding of the fear of the Lord. You ready? And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord. Was not this my saying or was this not my understanding when I was yet in my country? Therefore, I fled before Unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a, a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, great in kindness, and repentest thou of the evil. You see, God had prepared all of this. From the very first word that he gave Jonah, God was in the word, God was in the storm, God was in the fish. Oh, and by the way, God was into repentance on the ship. So here's what comes about. Grace. Jonah, because of the fear of the Lord, understood that the fear of the Lord will bring grace, mercy, kindness, and forgiveness. Now we're talking about fear. Fear. And Jonah was fearful of the Ninevites, but Jonah had a good understanding of the fear of the Lord and what the fear of the Lord brings. And it's right there in that verse. I knew, I knew if I came here and gave the message of destruction, I knew that if there was even an outside chance that they would turn towards you, that you are a God of grace, that you are a God of mercy and of kindness and forgiveness. And, of course, the suicidal part comes back out in verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. I, I can't fathom this because 120 soul revival, plus a few salty fishermen and, for some reason, cattle. It's there, <laughs> and cattle, right? I, I, I have an idea what that's about, but I don't have time to go there. <laughs> and some cattle. That type of a revival, and he's still suicidal. He's unhappy. Purges himself up on the hill, just waiting, hoping that the fireworks would still come, and God would still rain down fire from heaven to destroy. Nineveh so I think that Jonah had some issues of fear and at the same time he had a healthy understanding of the fear of the Lord and what the fear of the Lord brings I'll remind remind you of Hebrews chapter 11 if you'll turn with me there Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not yet seen, not as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. When Noah built the ark, it caused condemnation for the world. But it meant and it provided salvation for his family. Right? You see that in the scripture? And here it is. Our reverent faith will invoke condemnation. But really, it's conviction. Because I'll remind you what Romans chapter 8 and 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I'll ask you again, and, and what is it that you fear? Because I know we all have fears. I know it rears its ugly head now and then. Noah was moved on with fear of the Lord. It brought about salvation for him, condemnation, but that conviction, you know what it is? It's your methodical witness that will cause conviction or an awareness of God. What do I mean by that? Noah built that ark for quite some time. And like I said this morning, or perhaps this afternoon, it is true that soul work is slow work. And your methodical, timely witness that's going to be filled and saturated with discernment and discretion, just the way we live, it does cause conviction. It causes an awareness of God. And I'm certain you realize this. I'm certain you've experienced it before. But people will have questions. And most of the time when they have questions, at the beginning of those questions, at the beginning, it's, it's well, I could never do that. Or I'm not really interested in that. I don't understand that. My, my wife would never dress that way. But it's that discernment, that discretion. Because what you're building hmm, what you're building slowly, patiently, methodically, it is a witness. It is up to you and I to lead patiently through the process of redemption or salvation, slow and steady, gentle now. Discretion and discernment are necessary. I got another example for you, and I'll try and tie that last part in. Jesus himself, just ponder this with me, and once again, I'm not... Preaching this as doctrine, but just think of it. When Jesus was in the garden and when he prayed, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass over me. Nevertheless, I got to restate that because I don't think there was a pause there. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass over me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine will be done. Is it possible that there was just a moment, just a moment, a brief moment of fear? There was something that the flesh did not want to go through or submit to, right? But because that fear was set aside for the fear of God, what was accomplished was salvation available for every man, every woman, every boy, every child. And so what I'm proposing tonight And I'm asking you, what is it that is your fear? Because your fear will hold you back. I know we started in eschatology. The beautiful thing is, well, we'll get there. I'm almost done. (sighs) If it be possible, let this cup pass over me. Yet submitting the fear to the fear of the Lord, Jesus provided salvation for all men. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14. We'll end where we started. Here's the reason why I went to Jonah. It was because of God's providential hand. God can outmaneuver you and me. God's grace will outmaneuver yours and my mistakes. It will. God knows the beginning from the end, right? It ends this way. We'll start with verse 13, Matthew 24, 13. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world, for a witness to all nations, and then shall the end come. What started in the book of Acts, chapter 1 and verse 8, and ye shall be witnesses, right? Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, unto the, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So, what started at the very beginning. Of this age, it's going to end at the very end of this age. It's the gospel being preached to the whole world. We know the time we live in. Even with technology and the internet, the message can be, it can reach every corner of the, the earth. We know that there though, are pockets of places that don't have access to it. But we're getting really close. We've heard the numbers. We've heard that we're, we're pretty much there. What I would propose to you is that there's still those amongst us and perhaps we live in the greatest harvest field of the world in here in America. And I would propose this. We have the most incredible opportunity before us. Oh, I do believe as we're drawn to the end of this age that God has an unprecedented, unprecedented Holy Ghost revival because God would that all would come to salvation. And just like the prophet Joel did say, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. All flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, right? we have an incredible opportunity before us. But faith, or I'm sorry, fear is the faith killer. Fear is the faith killer. So if I can do this in a flurry as we, a fury as we close, I've got two more scriptures I'd like to share with you. And I'll remind you, when the apostles were... Spreading the good news in the book of Acts, what Bible did they use? They used the Old Testament. Every bit as relevant as the New. Absolutely. So I'll remind you Psalms chapter 139. O Lord, starting with verse 1 Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou passest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. God's grace, God has got. Regardless of the fear, whatever it may be, God's hand is upon you. He's gone before you. He comes behind you. He's got, the ESV says it this way, he's got you hemmed in, in the presence and the grace of God. And I know that that fear that holds us back, it's it's smothering at times. But it's a lie and it's a facade. Because he that the Son has set free is free indeed. And if we'll take that fear and we'll realize I'm going to submit that to the fear of the Lord, realizing that the fear of the Lord is going to bring about salvation and grace and mercy and goodness. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot even attain it. Whither shall I go From thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand. mm, Hold me. You can't get away from God. He is chasing you down and warring till you're found. It's true. God is for you. He purchased that fear on Calvary. It's his. Hmm. We just need to fear him and realize that fearing the Lord, it will do exactly what Jonah feared it would that it would provide that grace, mercy, kindness, and forgiveness. You realize this is the message you carry, you realize this is what God has purposed you for. Hmm. Last scripture, one we all know Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me besides the still water. There you have it again. When God's leading, and he is, he leadeth me beside the still water. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies, and thou anointest my head with oil. God doesn't need to... Listen, don't make God prepare a stinky whale for you. He's already prepared a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Fear's going to say no. Fear's going to say, I can't. I'm not good enough. I don't have that calling on my life. I don't have that ability. Huh. God's already gone before. And if he can use a donkey, if he can use me, he can use you. Amen. Huh. I anointed my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. And and who was leading? God was leading. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If God's leading you, goodness and mercy are coming behind you. He's got you hemmed in with all of this. So as we stand, this is what I would say. Fear is the faith killer. So let us declare right here, right now, let this be the moment that faith, hmm, that the fear of the Lord and what that represents, it represents salvation. It, not just for you and not just for your family, but it represents salvation to whoever you will present it to. Ah, methodically. So I would say this. You can say whatever you need to say. If you will, if you will in faith, believe what the Word of God is telling us, this is my prayer right here, right now. Time and Chance. My God, my God transcends time and space. My God's not limited by time. He's unaware of it. It doesn't affect him. Time, you're nothing to me. Space, oh, I've heard it said this way. The universe is ever expanding because it's trying to fill the fullness of God. God doesn't inhabit the universe. The universe is ever expanding trying to inhabit my God because he is that great. Huh. Chance, my God, leaves nothing to chance because he's purposed everything. If he has to purpose a whale, he'll purpose a whale. God is just that great. So let that be our prayer today because my God has purposed you. In your name, Jesus, as we open this altar, let this be more than just a sermon, God, but bring it back to our remembrance in that moment, that time, in that place. God, I know we all have fears. And I thank you, Lord, for laying this on my heart this week. To Speak your word. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262 965 5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org